0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How are you, football fans? This Sunday, you can stream Fulham v. Liverpool and Everton v. Chelsea. That's an amazing Paddy's Day lineup for a one-off payment of just €10. To grab a Now TV Sky Sports Day Pass and only pay for the games that matter to you, search Now TV today. Content streamed via internet, full terms at nowtv.com.
2: is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border
3: Welcome to tonight's broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope everyone's having a fantastic day wherever they are, and where Edver you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roane County, Tennessee. And uh, we're doing things an hour earlier than usual. I actually, put it to a vote a Sunday, and while I didn't get an overwhelming response of folks actually voting it did come down to better than 90% of the folks decided that they would prefer. I go ahead and broadcast an hour early. And if they were interested, uh, they would take the time to go back and either check out the archives or they would slink over at some point. Uh, with that in mind, taking a peek in the chat room, I see chief has uh, joined a great show here at the home platform of BlogTalkRadio.com, And, uh, uh, Cheap was actually one of the more vocal uh, proponents of recording uh, the interview early and then putting it up. And unfortunately, one of the drawbacks of BTR is if you're going to do shows, you can only do one thing a day. And if I was going to use the BTR platform to record, then I would have been stuck with that and then would have to go over and broadcast on another platform. And I actually thought about doing that. That was one of the options. And with all of that recommended whatever, it all comes down to – uh, this still ended up being my best option, unfortunately, and I hate to do it this hour early, number one, because people are just now getting used to finding me on Tuesday nights, and number two, because my good friend and friend of the show, Kel Fritzi, right now is broadcasting her show, IAW, Infidels Are Watching, part of the Global Patriot Network, and she's doing that right now. She does a two-hour block, and she's entering into her second hour of the broadcast there. And uh, I was over there just a little while ago, listening in, stayed in as late as I could, and she has a great show topic tonight. So I have a feeling most of the folks uh, that would uh, consider uh, popping over here probably will be staying over there. And like I said, I don't blame them. I, I didn't ask anybody to pick uh, this first. And I i guess you can tell at this point I kind of feel bad about it. I, I, I really do. I hate uh, overlapping and unfortunately, sometimes it's unavoidable with these folks, but I hate doing it. Uh, it. When it comes to folks that you are friendly with, there's this unspoken code, but unfortunately, circumstances are what they are. I had brief conversation with Kel in regards to it. She's okay with it, but I still feel bad. Um, yeah. All right. So anyway, all that stuff aside, those of you who are listening and those of you who will choose to join live, thank you very much. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, for those of you who are listening at KYAH five forty AM, thank you for joining me as I bring a little East Tennessee flavor to Utah's Talk Authority. Wherever you're listening and at whatever point in time you're listening, just remember it was broadcast live. It's actual internet radio. And with that being said, as I mentioned, I do have a guest scheduled for the uh, second half of the show. Um, He is... A senior fellow in military history at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He is an author of multiple historical books. He has written articles that have appeared almost everywhere, if it's in print or in the internet, uh, and it is news-related or history-related. You have probably seen a sampling. Victor David Hansen will be joining us a little bit later ...to talk about his brand new book, The Case for Trump. But before that, there's a couple things that I would very much like to get to. So, with no further ado, what do you say I get started with today's broadcast? First, came across this story, and it just has the earmarks of a lot of what's wrong with leftist progressive ideology...  … and how they seek to solve problems. You see, there's these mothers, a group of five mothers to be precise, who've all teamed up together to create a pornographic film for their children to watch. It's all part of this brand new show on Britain's Channel 4 uh, called, of all things, "Mums Make Porn… Yeah, real classy. I like it too. Now, according to The Sun, news source in the UK, uh, I I need to be clear when we're talking about mothers and and pornography for their children. Um, According to The Sun, uh, the mothers decided to create the mom-approved porno flick after they were horrified by hardcore rape-based porn, which of course is free and available online. One of the mothers featured in the show is a 40-year-old woman from North Wales named Sarah. She said, quote, if that was the first time I'd seen anything about sex, I'd be petrified. She, of course, was talking about this rape-based uh, pornography. She continued saying, I just thought all of a sudden that I was going to throw up. <laughs> now, Sarah argued that their mom-approved porn is than the horrible crap, only she didn't use the word crap, she used the version of the word that starts with an S but is not FCC compliant Uh, she said that theirs is better than the quote, horrible crap we see on the internet she also said that we need to show kids that there's something else than this horrible crap, again, that we see on the internet, if my son treated a woman like that I would kick his arse to Kingdom Come. She also added that porn doesn't represent normal women. The actors and actresses they use mislead kids. They need to realize it's not normal. One of the Manchester area mothers named Sarah Louise said she threw up from watching some of the available hardcore action online. Sarah, Sarah Louise and three other mothers have a uh, stated mission of created a mom-approved porto that quote promotes healthy attitudes towards sex and relationships for the next generation. The moms worked with industry experts, and were given all the tools they needed to make the movie. They were left completely in control, from writing and casting to directing and editing their fully mum-approved pornographic film. Uh, To make matters even just a little bit stranger, if that's possible at this point, the porn flick will actually be aired on the show's last episode as a viewing party in front of the women's families. Yes, that also includes their teenage children. (sighs) Oh, to begin counting all of the things that are wrong with this story. First and foremost... I don't think too many people would argue against the notion that this type of pornographic material is harmful to the mindset of teenagers. However, the only reason this kind of pornographic material is so readily available is because a lot of people on the left have been fighting the good fight for freedom of expression when it comes to things that are harmful. Uh, You try to have a Christian talk about how it's a good idea to put off having sex until you're married, and that's the kind of bigoted hate speech that will not be tolerated on social media platforms. But this this is okay. But at the end of the day, how about these mothers band together and actually – Bounce good ideas off of one another and come to the conclusion that it might actually be the best possible course of action to do what parents have been doing for generations before these folks and actually have those awkward, uncomfortable sex talks with their children. <laughs> Chief in the chat room says, Mom approved porn. A studly-looking dude doing the dishes. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't work its way into the uh, final product. Not that I'll be watching it, but why can't it be that these women address this issue? Or – it, and this is making a big assumption these days – in the case of the mums that have sons, have their – significant other, their baby daddy, their father figure, whatever the appropriate PC title of who member is filling that role within the household, have that conversation. And make it clear that you're going to see a lot of stuff out there now, and it's a lot worse than it used to be, but it's not representative of what you should expect. And obviously, The rape-based stuff, while it certainly plays into fantasy, a fantasy that a lot of left-leaning sexual therapists might actually try and convince you is a healthy expression under controlled circumstances, it just is one more way to propagate the essence of toxic masculinity. How about... Moms, Instead of making a porn, you actually parent. How about you have the conversation? How about instead of claiming this is for your children, you actually admit to yourselves and everyone else that this isn't about doing something for the kids. This is about fulfilling some narcissistic ideology where you want to feel as if you're still desirable in such a fashion.  … … because at the end of the day, no self-respecting individual that doesn't want to be in a porn is going to take it upon themselves to go make a pornographic film. And they're especially not going to wrap it up in a bow and try and pretend like they're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Chief makes a great point in the chat room again. Porn is fun. Parenting is hard. I think you probably hit the nail right on the head. And again, Chief, I think between the two of us, we're making it quite clear of exactly why this is a leftist so-called progressive solution to a problem that they've identified. Because remember, the problem here obviously isn't that there's pornographic material. The problem here isn't that children are exposed to pornographic material in a fashion that previously was Unaccessible. The problem in their mind is that the pornographic material they're currently consuming is filled with the toxic masculinity. The women are being objectified, and there's no empowerment for them. Although, I'm sure, because I've heard... people make this statement that the women that play the parts in these movies are actually uh, empowering themselves by owning the fact that they enjoy that part of the fantasy. (laughs) Yeah, let's just get back. Fun is more popular than difficult. Simple fact of life. That is correct, Chief. So with that being said, let's move on. This is a rabbit hole
0: that obviously Oh, I probably
3: shouldn't have used any of that terminology. How about we just move on? (laughs) Uh, Real fast. Okay, now, aside from the ridiculousness on the culture war, thank goodness that's going on across the pond. Although what concerns me is that things going on on the other side of the pond do have a tendency of making its way over here. So let's be on the lookout. There is something a little more serious today, and I definitely wanted to talk about this because I'm paying a much closer eye on this group, this organization that is formed and seems to be making inroads. Uh, they call themselves the Justice Democrats. And the more I look at this group, the more of an existential threat that I believe they are to the entire country. But right now they're being extremely effective at creating divisions within the Democratic Party itself that will not be healed. We're literally watching right now the destruction of the modern Democratic Party and this new group, the Justice Democrats, these uber-leftist super so-called progressives, they are embarking on this idea, this notion that they're simply going to take over the Democratic Party because, again, making your own party is hard. But taking over one that already exists and that the primary voting base has been conditioned to accept any social justice warrior notion, uh, it's – Almost too easy now. And a good example of what we're seeing has been the continuing debacle over Iliad Omar, Ilhan Omar, I'm sorry, Ilhan, Ilhan Omar. But today, Rashida Tlaib, uh well, not today, but uh, today it was uh, when I came across this story because somehow this got buried under all the other things that were going on. Uh, she was given an interview this past Sunday, and they was clearly doing two separate things. She was managing literally to kill two birds with one stone. Number one, she's laying down some cover to try and help protect her friend and co-justice Democrat Ilhan Omar. But at the other – at the same time, on the other hand, she was also – ...putting another stake in the heart of the old vampire that is the traditional Democratic Party and their efforts to take over. She, she did this in an interview this past Sunday. She was asked why she believes that her own party reacted so strongly to her fellow Muslim Democrat representative Ilhan Omar... ...for using anti-Semitic rhetoric. And of course... Miss Tlaib, Well she blamed Islamophobia. Ooh, didn't see that one coming, did we? I I have been thinking about this a long I don't know why I'm doing that. That is not how Rashid Talib
2: sounds.
3: <laughs> been thinking about this for a long time and and it really comes down to one thing. It can only be Islamophobia, which she said is not only within the Republican Party, but you better bet your bottom dollar it's all over that Republican Party. But it's also very much among the Democrat Party as well. Ooh. Now you see what she's actually saying. Number one, now the spineless noodle... The spineless morons that are currently in charge of the Democratic Party are now, because they have been conditioned to do so, going to have to acquiesce even further than what they already did with this ridiculous excuse of a resolution that was supposed to be an anti-anti-Semitic resolution and turned into an anti-bigotry, pro-Sharia law resolution. Now, if anyone else in the party…  … … has the nerve, the gumption, the fortitude to call out Omar or Talib or any of the other justice Democrats for the fact that anti-Semitism is still wrong no matter how they would have put it, they now are going to have to face the ire of social justice warriors everywhere, and be called an Islamophobe. And we all know the reason why Democrats like using the Saul Alinsky style tactics, why they like utilizing the playbook of the rules for radicals, is because they themselves are susceptible to it more so than others. Nobody hates being called a racist more than a Democrat. Nobody hates being called a bigot more than a so-called progressive. Nobody hates being called out for their white privilege than the uber-rich white elitist members of the Democratic Party who are so busy trying to prove they're not those things that they're willing to tolerate those things within the organization. Nobody hates that more. They're so very susceptible to it. So now the title of Islamophobe, I mean, white supremacist is already being used by none other than current leadership of the Justice Democrats, to refer to Nancy Pelosi. So now the Islamophobe title is going to get tipped onto any and all members of the House or the Senate for that matter, regardless of what party you're in, because reasons. Well, the number one reason is because the Justice Democrats have a plan. The Justice Democrats are dedicated – to the idea of taking over the Democratic Party as it currently exists. They say so in their mission statement, which you can find on their website. And if you come to the BTR platform, there is a link to that in today's show description so that you may check it out for yourself, including seeing a list of candidates. And the more I've been uncovering as I've started looking into these social – the the Justice Democrats – The more it is clear that this is all about pushing the agenda The agenda is uber-leftist, so-called progressive The agenda is to eliminate the corporate Democrats The agenda is to primary out any non-justice Democrat Regardless of how progressive they may be If they feel like they can win That's why you've got AOC running around talking about people putting themselves on a list, a list that she's taking down. The more you look at it, a lot of these people, a lot of these candidates that ran under this literally were auditioned. There were casting calls. AOC is one of the people that was cast into this role. She was not a viable candidate before her brother saw the casting call and and nominated her. In fact, on the website – you can nominate people. They'll go through the process. One of the scariest things I came across when I was perusing the site earlier said evidently they're currently, they have a mailing address here just up the road in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is for the national organization. They've got this link here to their leadership. And this all started with the, the, the I can't remember his name, but Uh, if you can easily differentiate the biggest jerk of all the jerks that were part of the Young Turks. Current leadership falls under Alexandria Rojas. They've got their website here. Got a mailing address. It's a P.O. box in Knoxville, Tennessee, along with a phone number that is in this area code. So evidently, currently... The organization is supposed to be based right up the freaking road from me, and this concerns me a lot. (laughs) And Chief actually is uh, making a great point too, um, saying that if you're not a justice Democrat, you're a dino, Democrat in name only. The same thing as we've had rhinos in the Republican Party. It is a scary thought.  … that these folks are not only being successful at what they're doing, but they're finding people who are willing to just parrot whatever stuff they're being spoon-fed. When you take a look at now uh, interviews and then read mission statements, AOC's most – her most claret points… the the times that she's making uh, the most amount of sense, and remember that this is a relative term, of course. In those occasions, on those times, it's so clear that she is just repeating the lines that she's supposed to have rehearsed and played. And it's the same agenda that every one of these folks is following. They have on their sights the fact that they – Elected seven of their candidates to Congress. But they had 26 candidates win in general elections. They had 78 candidates win in primaries. And they've got a list of candidates uh, all over the map here from California to Arizona. Uh, Okay, mostly Uh, there's Colorado, uh, Delaware, Florida. Still looking, Iowa, Hawaii. Illinois. I mean these are places where Democrats actually a lot of these places Democrats do really well on their own already. Uh there's Kansas, Massachusetts, uh to, to, to Maryland, yeah, like Michigan. And of course, Rashid Talib and Elhan Omar are among them, uh, Michigan and uh, Minnesota, uh, the uh Abdul El-Sayed who ran for governor of Michigan was one of their membership. Um, looking here, Alabama, North Carolina, Nebraska, New Jersey, uh, a lot of folks in New Jersey, New Mexico, Nevada, New York, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, still looking at some of these other folks, and. Now, there are folks here, names that you'll recognize uh, from the districts, including failed attempts, including the nation's first open transgender uh, candidate for uh, governor in the state of Vermont, Christine Hallquist happens to be a member of this party. So that explains where he wants to be as she came from. <laughs> anyway, Chief is now nominating me to be the Justice Democrat candidate from Tennessee. I don't need that voodoo on me, Ricky Bobby. Uh, so <laughs> I appreciate your confidence in me, Chief, but uh, I have a feeling I wouldn't meet their general qualifications. All right, so here's what I'm going to do now. We're going to do the uh, – Edwards Notebook will do these songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day.
1: And if all goes
3: as planned, at the end of all that, I should be uh, joined by today's guest, Victor Davis Hanson. So stay with me. I uh, at least plan on being right back as soon as I can hit the right buttons, <laughs> because evidently that is a hard thing to do. I'm actually
0: not seen.
3: here we go. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. It's been one of those days.
0: The United States of America was founded on Christian principles, and to this day, many government officials still recognize God in both the House and the U.S. Senate. So what's eating people who want to get rid of a memorial of valor shaped like a cross? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, on one hand, leftist Democrats want to flood America with Muslims, and when they can get away with it, government school educators force students to learn about and practice Islamic rituals in American classrooms. Now, mind you, these are the same educators and others who shout separation of church and state and forbid the mention of Christmas and even pictures of Santa Claus. So it is well established that American leftists are hypocrites who hate the United States and the many good Christian values that made her the envy of the world. So now they advocate for the removal of a nearly 100 year old 40 foot cross memorial that honors Maryland residents who died in World War I. If certain people are offended by the cross, they might consider our freedom of or freedom from religion. Grow up and leave our memorials alone. I'm Ron Edwards. Join me Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern on AmericanMatters.us, SHR Media, and 12 a.m. Sundays on Talk America Radio Network. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America.
1: Sponsored by David E. Garrett Jewelers. Dan Perkins here with your songs and stories for soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. An important stride was taken on March the 5th, when the President signed an executive order creating the PREVENTS program, specifically designed to address the problem of veteran suicide and homelessness in the United States. The President pointed out that nearly 70% of all veteran suicides are by vets who have never been in contact with the VA. Another part of this new program will provide money for homeless vets to buy housing for themselves and their families. We have to do a better job of helping inform vets what options they have to improve the quality of their lives. Here is your tip of the day. If you hear this spot, go to your nearest VA facility and ask for help. Tell them you want to know about the new PREVENTS program. You can also go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us for updates. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day.
3: All right, everybody, thanks for staying with us through that very brief break. And it is now my distinct honor and pleasure to welcome to the show, Professor Victor Davis Hanson. Uh,
2: Professor, thank you so much for joining us. It is Ryan
0: here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: This evening, I certainly appreciate your time, and I'm anxious uh, to discuss with you uh, your new book, uh, obviously the case for Trump uh, A very good time For something of this nature But uh, it, it, There's no doubt You have committed one of the greatest sins That you possibly can In the eyes of the so-called progressives You've asked everyone To take a reasoned Rational Honest look at the Donald Trump presidency In the context of history So first of all how has the reaction been that you've gotten so far? I, I know that uh, certain progressives could not be very kind.
4: Well, it, I wish it was just progressive. I mean in the Bill Crystal, Charles Sykes bulwark I think two days ago, they said I played a German Martin Heidegger Nazi to Trump's Hitler by trying to be dispassionate and analyzing what got Trump elected, why he was pretty successful, and why he has a pretty good shot to be reelected. So we're in pretty crazy times uh, in which uh, Trump is such a – he scares the left to such a degree, and he scares the never-Trump right to such a degree that they've lost their bearings. And we can see it with the celebrity assassination chic where these celebrities buy with each other to see whether you should – Blow him up, or burn him, or cut him up pieces, or we see it with you know the, all of these efforts to abort his presidency. Uh, you know, crazy, evoke the Emoluments Clause, the Twenty-fifth Amendment, try to pervert the Electoral College in uh, last uh, in 2016, sue about voting machines, uh, resurrect the old ossified Logan Act, get Michael Cohen, get the the Mueller investigation, get McCabe and Rosenstein to stage a coup, and yet he's still there. And that gets them even anger because they think that this should have been a 16-year Obama, Hillary Clinton regnum. They would have been finishing a fundamental transformation of the country, and suddenly this Manhattan billionaire who can say anything, anytime, anywhere to anyone is in control, and he's systematically not doing what they said he would do. They said he'd either be liberal if he were never-Trumper, or he'd be incompetent and fail if he were on the left, and he's neither. He's a conservative that has really made a huge difference in getting 3% economic growth on an annualized basis, record low on minority unemployment, record gas and oil uh, production, record uh, rise in middle-class wages of 3.5%, uh, deregulation. He's addressing free speech on campus. The judges are not like David Souter or Harriet, the Harriet Meyers nom- failed nomination. He's trying to do other things like close the border, and, and he's sort of the only thing between... Uh, Americans and six, things like 16-year-old voting laws and letting felons vote. He's opposing all the right things. Boy, does he does he incur such hostility. Um,
3: yeah, I mean, it, it really is astounding. And I think it does also speak to the job that the framers did, the fact that they haven't been able to destroy uh, Trump yet because they have literally tried to subvert his presidency at every turn. And I, for one, I was – I wasn't on the Trump train early on, but uh, once he earned the nomination, I was certainly willing to support him because in my eyes almost anything was preferable to Hillary Clinton, uh, knowing uh, the past, knowing everything that had transpired when Bill Clinton was president, and so I was willing to give him a chance to convince me. and. I do think he tends to be a imprecise communicator, which is one of the biggest uh, reasons why some folks who normally would be supportive uh, are a little less than. Uh, this, of course, is talking general voters. Obviously, uh, the never-Trumpers, uh, they don't like the uh, apple cart to be turned over any more than the uh, Democrats do, so it's understandable why they're there. But at the end of the day, he has managed to govern very conservatively, and everything that he's fought for and everything he continues to fight for, I think, falls within the confines of traditional conservative values, yet we still see folks trying to push against. How much of that came to you as a surprise, especially as you started looking at the comparisons as you did research for uh, for the new book?
4: Well, I asked myself, I tried to be dispassionate. I said, it's I understood that he's the first president without prior military or political experience, and as you say, he tweets and he can be uncouth, and I use that word crass a lot. But if you just ask yourself, uh, how did he figure out within the confines of the Republican Party to win back these states that were considered lost, like Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida? And the answer is he crafted – a geographical as well as a political message. He said basically to the country, although I'm a 90% conservative in terms of judicial selections or tax policy or energy development etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, there is no such thing as free trade if it's not fair I and mean, China's not fated to take over the world. One American uh, produces still three times as many goods and services as three Chinese counterparts. And he said the the interior of the country is not to be written off. It's not de-industrialized. We made some bad choices on our part, and it can be restored. The border doesn't have to be open. We can have legal, merocratic, measured, uh, and diverse immigration. The melting pot can be resurrected. We can have secure borders. We, if we go overseas and get involved, and if we can't turn tactical victories in the streets of these cities into strategic advantages, then maybe we shouldn't be there. Maybe we shouldn't go try to nation-build anymore. So these were different, and they were, as I said, calibrated to the Electoral College, and they worked. And that left the, the political class just dumbfounded. They didn't understand that. And when you add that Trump, of all people, and, and I, I think my political trajectory was similar to yours and many of your listeners probably, you were skeptical, then when he got the nomination, you saw it was a Manichaean choice between Hillary Clinton and somebody better. But he, he didn't sound uncouth as everybody said he did. He actually started addressing people as our farmers, our workers, our vets. When he went into West Virginia, Hillary Clinton, remember, had said, uh, I'm going to break the coal industry, echoing what Obama had said, and I'm going to put coal workers out of work. And Trump said, I love big, beautiful coal and i'm going to restore it and he he had a message that said you know i may be amoral according to my personal life but there's a broader definition of morality and if i can get economic growth and lower employment a job is the is the fundamental tenet of the american family and i can restore dignity to people and get purchasing power i can make the chinese play fair i'm not too worried about people in iraq and afghanistan and libya at least not in comparison with people in Youngstown, Ohio. But well, we hadn't heard that message from a Mitt Romney or John McCain. And so he almost said, I'm going to redefine what qualifications are. They're not necessarily past consultations with the Council on Foreign Relations or the Harvard Government Department or the Brookings Institution. And I'm going to redefine morality. If, As I said in the book, he was almost like Shane or the Magnificent Seven or the Searchers, all these Most of your listeners are probably too young to remember them, but these were these Western gunslingers that the beleaguered sodbusters brought in because they had lacked the the means or the money or they were out of patience or they didn't have the imagination how to stop these cattle barons. And this guy comes in, and he stops them, but in the process of his success, people start to double think about question his mechanisms or his mouth or his crudity and then they finally get tired of him. I think that'll probably happen with Trump. I think people will see that he restored economic growth and deterrence abroad, but they're not going to give him the recognition that he otherwise would deserve if he was more of a traditional politician in his behavior and background.
3: Yeah, I I tend to agree. I think, uh, and you of course, being a historian, uh, you can attest to this I think Trump is definitely going to be one of those folks That is truly not going to be appreciated For what he did Until much further down the road When people actually are able To divorce themselves From the uh, the Trump derangement syndrome uh, That seems to be running wild In our media And in our current level of politics But when it comes uh, to Donald Trump's foreign policy One of the things that, that I find interesting Is you have You have made an honest effort to be dispassionate and to just take a reasoned look, again, through the context of history So I was curious, how would you describe his foreign policy to this point And is there a particular uh, parallel from the past, uh, even if we have to go beyond the, the history of the United States uh, That kind of indicates whether or not you think his foreign policy will ultimately be successful or a failure
4: Well, I think they call it, at least as I read the
3: strategic uh,
4: plan of McMaster when he was national security, is principled realism. And by that I mean it wasn't preemptory, it was more retaliatory. And the idea is that we're going to have an increase in defense readiness and we're going to project such strength that likely enemies like Iran or North Korea or China will not want to tangle with us. And more importantly, we're going to husband our resources so we don't waste Precious resources and public support in places like Libya or Iraq or Afghanistan, but against real enemies like Iran or China, et cetera. And then we're going to be no better friend to our, enemy, to our allies Japan, South Korea, um, Taiwan, but no worse enemies to our enemies like Venezuela or, or, or Cuba, et cetera. And then we're going to have, as I said, the restoration of deterrence. So I guess what I'm getting at is in real terms, before Trump came in office, we had about 250 incidents per year of Iranians hazing American ships, sending missiles in their vicinity. We had one instance where they kidnapped Americans um, uh, in the Persian Gulf. By 2018, we had zero instances. And I think the reason was that they thought Trump was unpredictable, a little bit crazy, but more importantly, that if they did that again, he wouldn't overlook it as the Obama administration had. He wouldn't even retaliate in kind. He might take out an entire airfield where a missile came from. Or if there was a ship that went out and hijacked Americans, he might take out the entire harbor. So I think that's why, uh, for now, North Korea has stopped testing missiles and nuclear, at least cut down on them. And uh, I I understand that you have to come through sometimes with these veiled threats, but... He inherited a situation in which we had ballistic missiles apparently pointed at our West Coast cities, and he's trying to address that. And they don't know what to make of him, but they do understand that it's not going to be any more of the, the Clinton-Bush-Obama six-party talks, agreed-on framework, strategic patience that ended up giving billions of dollars and, and sort of beseeching the North Koreans to behave. I guess I'd sum it up as Jacksonianism, like Andrew Jackson, deterrence, And uh, principled realism
3: All right Well uh, let me ask you uh, If you had an opportunity If this opportunity suddenly presented itself Where you could sit down Have a face-to-face Closed-door meeting With Donald Trump And you knew that he was Going to be actively listening There was a really good chance he would take whatever you had to say To heart What would be some of the things you would really want to express To him
4: I would say things on the political level. I'd say you're not getting enough political capital out of the fact that you set a record in lowering minority unemployment, both for African Americans and Hispanics. And then I would say that redefining abortion is making infanticide permissible, coupled with uh, the attacks on Catholicism, as we saw with uh, – um, Senator Feinstein and Harris, Knights of Columbus and Suffolk. And coupled with the idea that illegal immigration drives down the wages of entry level workers and it brings gangs into Latino communities, you have a golden opportunity to make the moral case why you deserve an unprecedented uh, percentage of the black and Latino vote understanding that because of the democratic warped calculus, if you were to get 40% of the Hispanic voter, 20% of the African-American vote, they would lose the election. And then I would also argue that uh, George Bush said he was going to be a physical conservative and he doubled the debt. And then Barack Obama said that he was not going to use the so-called credit card of the bank of China. Then he doubled the debt. And your first two years, I understand that you're trying to have an, Economic expansion, but you're going to have to deal with the annual deficits. And he's sort of proposed a 5% reduction, but he's going to have to veto a lot of things that are going to be unpopular. And uh, finally, I, I, I think that he's got to uh, tell his White House team that we have, and he knows this, but he has no media support. The universities are against him, Hollywood's against him, the entertainment industries against him. Uh, this weird nexus between popular culture and the progressive movement is against him. And they have no margin of error. So they have to all have a little bit more discipline, including the president and how they express their political views. And I don't mean they can't be tough. They can't be unpredictable, but they have to be careful that they don't get into the Scaramucci, Omar Rosso, Steve Bannon, psychodrama again and again. And I think he's made progress with that. I, I feel that, Bolton and Pompeo and Barr may be the consummate professionals that are at least in sync with what the Trump agenda is. They're not trying to tell people, you know, I'm the adult in the room and I got to control Trump. They really do believe that that his agendas are are theirs as well.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, one last question uh, before we start winding down, and and that is, why after your uh, your long history of writing uh, military historical accounts of being, uh, according to to multiple sources, the premier uh, military historian of our time, would you want to take on this current political hot button? And what was it that made you feel like now is the time that uh, this book needed to be written? Well,
4: my wife and children asked me that because, um, they say, why in the world would you want to do this? You just wrote a book on World War II that was well-received. And I think the answer is that when I look at things that were happening and most recently, obviously, the Jussie Smollett uh, fake psychodrama and then the Covington kids, but also things like the Duke Lacrosse and the Virginia fraternity, all of the, and the statue toppling and the re- I'm at Sanford University where they just renamed Father Sarah's Mall. We're in a holistic effort to redefine the middle and upper middle class. And by that, I mean almost to eliminate what it used to stand for. We're trying to destroy traditionalism. We're hostile to traditional religion, community, family ties. Uh, If you're one moment, you're skeptical about gay marriage, then you're a bigot. If you don't think transgenderism is something that can, that can trump biological determinism, then you're a bigot. And I think everybody, according to their station, has to speak out now. I know that they went after Tucker Carlson the other night in Fox. He spoke out and said, I'm not resigning, I'm not apologizing, it's just the way it is. Because I don't think they represent 51%. They keep bragging about a new demography and a new power. I don't think they do, and I think they're bullied. So I I can't, I don't have the ability in other areas. The only thing I'm any good at is writing to some degree at books. So I thought, you know what? Don't be a a propaganda voice for Trump, but don't hate him, don't sanctify him. Just look at what he's done and how he got elected and then write a book and don't be afraid to, to come to a conclusion. So when I wrote the book, the liberal editor said, well, this is a case for Trump. I said, that wasn't my title. It was a case for Trump. And she changed it and she said, a, a liberal person like, like me after reading your book might even contemplate giving him some credit. And that was what I wanted to do. I want, I, I, one last thing I wanted is to, it was devoted to the deplorables and the irredeemables, and by that I meant all of you Americans whose innate sense said we cannot have Hillary Clinton and what she represents as president, and I'm going to go with Trump, and we're demonized by the intellectual classes of both parties. They were right, and they were right that Trump w- wouldn't be a liberal as the never-Trumpers on the right said, and they were right that he wouldn't be a complete failure, even a failure as the left said so i wanted to add some argument to uh, to what they had, had innately sensed
3: yeah. i guess it's not quite so bad to be a deplorable these days no, all right uh Professor, again, I want to thank you so much for your time this evening, and I want to thank you for the effort in this book. Unfortunately, uh, my copy got delayed, and I didn't actually get it until earlier today, and I have barely had a chance to get started. But what I have seen so far, I can tell you not only is it a legitimate, fair, and even-handed to to what I agree, I think you hit the target exactly of what it should be. And I I realistically say this with with no intent to to just be kissing up, as it may sound like uh, if you were just to to drop in on the interview at this point. But I think there's a good chance that uh, this may very well be the definitive uh, historical account of where Donald Trump is, at least to this point in his presidency. So thank you for your effort. Thank you for your time today. And please. Uh, before we let you go, let everybody know where they can find your work. Uh, I mean you, just so yeah. many books that you've written and, and articles literally all over the place, The list too long to go down. Uh, and uh, just whatever you'd like to share, websites, and, of course, any social media, i tell you there as well. Yeah.
4: Well, I have uh, com where I aggregate things that I write at National Review, American Greatness, and Chicago Tribune, and then the book can be found at Amazon.com or you can go into Barnes and Noble or Walmart and Target and buy it as well.
2: So, all right. uh, again. with that,
4: I appreciate you having me uh, on. All right.
3: Well, I, I appreciate you being on. Again, thank you very much, and I do hope we have an opportunity to speak again in the future. You too. Thank you. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Professor Victor Davis Hanson. All right. Well, I mean there you have it, the case for Trump, and I got to tell you, it it is uh, a – it's it's pretty good so far. Like I said, though, I've barely gotten into it. But what has impressed me is that he legitimately sets out to make a case. A uh, quick shout-out to Bigfoot, who's joined us in the chat. Uh, says that Kel let out a little early. Uh, well, uh, good for <laughs> Uh and She was actually uh, doing really well over there earlier when I got to listen in on most of the first hour. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And he makes the point. I, I started out the query basically asking what the response has been from the left. But, you know what, I, I'm glad that he pointed out that there are folks that – claim to be on the uh, on the right side of the political spectrum that are also just as critical. A uh, quick shout-out to uh, Annie, the radio chick Eubelis, who just joined us in the chat room as well. Um, obviously, went an hour earlier today, guys. I'm glad some of you are able to sneak in over here. Uh, let me implore you to uh, please go back into the archives <laughs> and uh, listen in once again to the interview with Victor Davis Hanson. and I, I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with him, and uh, Chief, I uh, can, can let you guys know if uh, it came out as being a good interview or not, but I feel pretty good about it. I, I do like uh, Chief's uh, a statement here saying that the case for Trump, number one, he's not Hillary.
2: <laughs>
3: uh, before long, I think that's actually even going to be a, a viable case even for Bill. So where does that leave us? It leaves us looking back at today's top stories that we talked about, and there is definitely some crazy going on in the world around us. But it is good to know – it's very good to know that we still have people actively working in academia that are willing to stand back, be dispassionate, and to simply lay out the facts. And to put things in a historical context, it is is something that you don't see that much of today. I mean, I've read a lot of pro-Trump books that are 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 good and, and are fairly uh, accurate. Uh, uh, Judge Janine's book comes to mind uh, in particular, but they come almost to the verge of well, of almost being sycophantic. And, and I I don't like making that comparison because I don't think Judge Janine is a sycophant. But I do think she's devoted passionately to her ideas to the point that she completely disregards the other side, and again, not that bad of a deal. But when it comes to actually trying to make a legitimate case, when it comes to looking through the lens of history, and also he does a great job of intermingling a lot of the… the pop culture references, he specifically talked about some Westerns, uh, Shane being one of them, and The Magnificent Seven, the original. And, and he discusses how there are aspects to that, and he does it in a way that for those of us who are familiar with the stories can relate to what he's up against or how he's trying to go about things. So I, I just I, – I'm left grateful that there are still people like – uh, Victor Davis Hansen out there willing to take those arrows, willing to take the spears. I, I was reading a couple of reviews on the book uh, earlier in the week once I knew that he was uh, going to be on, and there were already people who uh, – presumably they got an advanced copy. It's hard to tell. They were obviously leftists, and they were starting to call him Nazis, and now we even have people like Bill Kristol that was basically called him a Nazi based on his account earlier. And that's the world we're living in, so thank goodness that there are still people willing to stand up, willing to take those arrows, not in the pursuit of an agenda, but simply in the pursuit of honest discussion and truth because that's what he was going for here. He lays out literally, quite literally the case for for Donald Trump being a better president than most people uh Would have expected. Uh, And I'm just, uh, I I do. I I get a special place. There's a special place inside of me where I have a different level of appreciation for folks who are willing to do that. That's why I think so highly of Chief. That's why I think so highly of Annie. That's why I think so highly of Kel. uh, and Don Smith and Ken McClinton, and, and over are the uh, exceptional conservatives, and all of these other folks that you know. We do this. We get behind this mic, and we put ourselves out there, and and we're instantly a target by those who don't like what we have to say. And sometimes it's easy. I, Kel was actually talking about this a little bit earlier. It's it's easy to kind of get to that point where it's like. Am I having an effect? Is it doing any good? And should I keep going? It'd be easy to walk away. It'd be easy to just say, forget it. It's, it's, I'm wasting my time. I'm giving up a vital part of my life to do this. And all you want to know is that somebody else is being touched in a positive way, that you're having an effect. So it's good to be able to have that uh, To have that. Net of friends and folks that are going to be supportive and the people who show up in the chat room and the people who are listening wherever you're at, and to get that interaction via social media the whole nine. It is – this is the kind of thing. And when you see someone, again, that literally works in academia, there is no one who's going to be taking more arrows. There is no one who's putting their career at risk more so than someone who depends on academia as – … your primary source of uh earning a living. So again, uh, just great respect for uh for Victor Davis Hanson. And uh as Chief said, uh, if if Bill Crystal calls you a Nazi, you're doing something right. Uh, <laughs> I again, Chief uh, on point and making a great point. And I guess that's where I'm going to pretty much have to leave things tonight. So, again, I want to thank everybody for being here, and I want to thank everybody who listens after the fact in archives, and all you folks listening in at KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority. Uh, Be sure to tune in again tomorrow morning where you'll get to hear yet even more of me. And uh, special shout-outs to Bigfoot, uh, Chief, and Annie uh, for all joining me in the chat room before the show was over. Thanks, guys. And more than anything, remember… Don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. Yeah, I know. It's hard. Put in some effort, and more importantly, to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And oh yeah, by the way, go pick up a copy of The Case for Trump. That's it for tonight, everybody, and I am out.